Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another episode of Friendly Reminder. It is October the 10th, Saturday, October the 10th. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host uh, for this morning, actually. Uh, I do have my two dear friends joining me today. Uh, Sam, how are you today? I'm a little tired, but I'm not doing great. How are you? Doing pretty good. I have a cup of coffee, ready to go. Daniel, how are you today? I'm good. I'm just thinking about how uneventful this week was and wondering what we're going to talk about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing to Not talk about, happened. really. Yeah. Just going to, you know, talk about our lives, uh, what we desire in the future. No, nothing real specific. Uh, that is sarcasm, folks, because I am freaking out. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we last uh, gathered together last Saturday uh, to talk about Trump getting COVID. Um, and he most likely still has COVID. And <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the president contracted a deadly disease because he's an idiot, and he probably still has it, and he may still die. Sorry. And today he's hosting an event with 2,000 people because oh, we are in hell. Um, yeah, lots to talk about. I mean, I'm just going to recap it real quick right now. We had a vice presidential debate. Uh, the president of the United States uh, still has COVID. Uh, he went on a uh, whatever cocktail he's taken. He apparently went on a bender this whole week because he he put out like three or four crazy videos. Uh, he went on a Hannity. He went on Rush Limbaugh's show and just spouted the most nonsensical bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. The governor of Michigan uh, apparently was almost kidnapped by a right-wing, the media says militia, the right term is terrorists. Uh, uh, what, Trump uh, backed out of the stimulus bill and then immediately <laughs> went back into the table like a day later? <laughs> like desperately. No, didn't he tweet like five minutes later, we need a big bill? Like he just seems so confused. <laughs> Uh, another huge Trump tax story came out from the New York Times. Uh, apparently, that two. Okay, yeah. wow. Um, it's it's a mess. Uh, we're, we are in a mess, and and again, we're what three weeks away from from the general election. Um, buckle up, folks. But let's slow down. Let's talk about probably the most inconsequential thing of the week. Uh, but we all watched it, um, or at least watched part of it. And I'm, of course, talking about the vice presidential debate. Um, it was on Wednesday, last Wednesday. Uh, Kamala Harris and Mike Pence debated. Uh, there was a, a plexiglass in front of both of them uh, because <laughs> Mike Pence might have COVID also. At least he was exposed to people that later tested positive and he had a bad case of uh, the red eye during that whole or the pink eye during that whole debate. Uh, but let's throw it to you guys. Uh, Sam, uh, I know you've been a busy, busy boy this, this week, but did you catch any of the debate, maybe any clips or anything like that? Well, I first, uh, the, the most important thing, of course, was the flying. I saw that all over Facebook and all over Twitter. Um, and I did watch some of it with you guys at the end of my uh, class. But from what I saw... Just to clarify, saw, a fly landed on Pence's head and then sat there from like, for like an inordinately long amount of time, like two whole minutes. <laughs> like two minutes, yeah. Just, just defying the laws of God and deciding to sit on his hands. <laughs> but from what I did see, Kamala Harris seemed to have her shit together. And no matter what happens in this election, I, I, if she's still running, I will probably vote for her in the next election. Yeah, she impressed you that much. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I thought she was pretty impressive. I think she she had some missed opportunities, and maybe we'll talk about that. Uh, we might also want to talk about the moderator, um, who wasn't probably as bad as Wallace, but also I think didn't do a particularly outstanding job. Uh, but before we get into all of that, Daniel, what were your overall thoughts about the debate? It was kind of dull. It was very, and I think they were both kind of going for sort of the compared to the just manic episode that the first debate was, the first presidential debate, I think they were going for calm. Kamala always boggles me because she's clearly like exceedingly intelligent. And I've seen her in, I've seen her in uh, Senate hearings where she just takes people apart. Um, but she's also, she's a triangulator. Um, she's always thinking, well, can I say this? Can I say this? Is this going too far? Is this going too far? And to a certain extent, it's it's it is thoughtful, but I think it can sometimes come off as as being a little shady and deceptive, like you're trying to give the perfect answer. And I think she is capable of much more. And I wish that she had. And and again, it might just be because I am sort of this foaming at the mouth lefty, and I want to see Kamala like take this idiot apart. I wanted her to say, "We are in the the what." the 10th month of this shit this guy is the head of the task force and we're sitting here with plexiglass between us <laughs> like clearly yeah. clearly he fucked up he his own boss got the deadly disease that he was trying to prevent <laughs> like 50,000 Americans are getting this disease every day a thousand Americans are still dying a day he's the head of the task force he screwed up he screwed up and I, I kind of wish she had gone after him harder on that and 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 uh but she didn't. Uh, and I feel like part of that is just because it's Kamala. She triangulates. And now she's part of the Biden, Mr. You know, nice guy campaign. And she kind of can't go after. And then maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm, I'm a radical lefty and the people that they're aiming for would not like to see uh, Mike Pence humiliated for all the terrible lies and terrible answers he gave. Uh, another example of where I wish he had taken him apart is global warming, climate change, where he basically just said, oh, yeah, I believe in the science and we need to follow the science and figure out and settle the controversy. It, it was such a garbage answer. She should have just taken him apart. She should have said, California is on fire. <laughs> She's like, California yeah. is on fire. We got hit by 20 something. We ran out of names for hurricanes this year. We're getting all kinds of weather events we've never had before. You're full of shit. You're full of shit if you think that anybody believes you're actually listening to the science. You're, you're not. You're just using that as an excuse not to do anything. Um, anyway, uh, there was a lot of times that I wish she had taken him to task uh, a little more. Um, but I did, I did think she did a, an overall better job than him, mostly because he sort of calmly sat there and just lied through his teeth the whole time, um, which I found kind of frightening, to be honest, <laughs> the way that he kind of just calmly uh, was able to just lie. Yeah. I mean, I have several thoughts about that and about Kamala um, holding back because I think there's a couple of things regarding that, right? And the first, the for, first and foremost, it's the fact that she is a black woman. And unfortunately, because of that, it comes with so many double standards and, and um, uh, hypocrisy in the way people, uh, people, uh, deal or reflect with with uh, how she performs compared to how a white man might perform or how Don yeah. donald trump might perform people are already saying she was overly aggressive which is so absurd she was so restrained compared to what i would be uh under that circumstance so 
I think she was aware of that, uh, and, and yeah. she she was trying to walk that tightrope uh, as best as she could, and that's a very hard tightrope to to walk because you, you, she can't go full throttle attack on Mike Pence because then she might, uh, in the eyes of many, because a lot of people have racial uh, uh, prejudice that oh she's the angry black woman now, um, she she's uh, she's too emotional. She she is too angry. Uh, and so she was aware of that, and she, she was definitely holding back. Uh, the other thing is that, again, according to the polls, Biden is up comfortably right now. And usually when you go into a debate and you know that your side is, is up, you're not going to be the aggressive one. You're going to be mostly on the defensive, mostly conservative in, in terms of your performance. Uh, and you're going to just try to let the other opponent make make his or her own mistakes and, and not go out of your way to to um, hit it out of the ballpark, so to speak, right? So I think she was, like, the way she prepped for this debate and the Biden campaign prepped for this debate is to be conservative, is to kind of just uh, make sure that by the end of the night, things are still the way things were at the beginning of the night. And I think she accomplished that. Uh, I don't think, I think it was really more on Mike Pence's um, objective to change some sort of dynamic. I know a vice presidential debate doesn't really change things much in the long term, but it was his objective to go into that night and and hit Kamala hard, uh, make her look uh, unqualified for this, uh, for this job, not ready for it. And he did not accomplish that at all. Well, uh, Harris was more than prepared and, and seemed like she's ready to be vice president of the United States. I, at the very least, and I don't know what this means in, in terms of uh, how people see it, but I came away feeling more confident of Biden's choice of Kamala than Clinton's choice of, uh, what's his name, Tim Kaine. Oh, yeah. Like, no I think one remembers Tim Kaine. I, I think Kamala remember. did. I remember that debate, and I remember Tim Kaine came off as very whiny, and people compared him to the Penguin. After It was not a great debate, and I think a lot of people said Pence won. Um, and after this debate, I would definitely say Kamala won, um, even though I did, as I said before, you know, I, I took not not issue necessarily, but I think just more more just like what I would have liked to see. Yeah. Uh, as you know, as an American who who has so much distaste for this man, Pence. But again, like that's not those are not the people she was really speaking to. Right. She was not. Uh, <laughs> trying to speak to me who would never in a million years uh, vote for Trump, Pence, and who would fight through, you know, hordes of barbarians in order to vote against Donald Trump. So, yeah, again, maybe it just was not directed at me. Um, what, what did you guys think about the court packing answer? Because I thought, by you know, clearly they're dodging the question. They don't want it to become the issue. Uh, Biden's non-answer was better, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Kamala. So I didn't see that part. What was they asked like why they would what they would do if they won and what they would do with the Supreme Court? So, Pe so I don't even think the moderator asked this question. Pence asked. That's the other thing is that the questions were all terrible, and they both of the debaters pretty much ignored. At least Pence for sure ignored every single question and just did whatever he wanted. But he turned and he was pushing Kamala on on whether Biden and Harris were going to pack the the Supreme Court. Um, and Kamala spun it, and I thought she did. I personally thought it was a good answer, but I don't know if it would be a good answer to the people that Pence was sort of hoping would be scared by the answer. Uh, Kamala said, you want to talk about packing the court? They've been putting like 30-year-old unqualified bloggers on the court for the past three years. All these seats that 
McConnell illegitimately held open, not only in the Supreme Court, but in all the lower courts, too. Uh, and they've been packing them with just incompetent idiots. Like they are the ones who are throwing the court off balance. I would have answered, you know, especially if they kept pushing me, I would have said something along the lines of fuck around and find out, which is, you know, <laughs> she, she should have said, look, like the balance of the court has been stable for had been stable for a long time. Um, the Republicans fucked it up by leaving it empty leaving it at eight justices that, you know, Pence lied and said, it's been nine justices forever. That's false. The Republicans left it at eight justices for more than a year. Um, and then uh, she should have said, all we're talking about is the discussion of modest reforms to bring balance to the court. She could have pointed out that the four Supreme Court justices were put on there by presidents who lost the popular vote and how this has shocking effects for the legitimacy of our democracy when now you know as soon as amy Co coney barrett gets put on there five of the justices on there are going to be on there with presidents who lost the popular vote uh and and you know senates uh and approved by senates who also did not have uh, the majority of americans um so i i think they could have framed it correctly i get that it's a it's a radical thing and that they're pushing him to say it um I would have preferred an answer that was basically like, like we're not going to do anything radical, but at the same time, we have to bring balance back to the courts. Uh, you must bring balance to the force. Well, yeah, I, that, and that is actually what popped into my head. I, that sounds totally reasonable to me, doesn't it? To, to bring balance back to the courts. Um, yeah. I would have gone in even further and, and started to compare the courts to Eastern European countries because you're literally having the president of the United States talking about how he really wants to get... The Supreme Court justice on there because she might have to decide the election. <laughs> just, just insane stuff that you would never even thought about before. And 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 of course, we need some sort of court reforms. The court is just is is, is beyond unbalanced. And and and, I, and now I'm talking about the court system as a whole, the federal court system as a whole, not just the Supreme Court. But obviously, the Supreme Court is going to be incredibly unbalanced too. Um, you know the the views that Amy. Coney Barrett has are not lined up with the views of the average American. She's much more conservative than the average American, but that's going to be the court. Um, so yeah, I would have, I think it probably annoyed people the way she sort of dodged the question and the way that Biden's dodging the question. I think it probably did annoy some people, but um, I'm going to speak from my perspective, uh, which is of course a very biased leftist pers perspective, but considering Joe Biden's moderation um, and his, you know, constant uh, intuition to go towards a moderate lane. I actually take kind of comfort from him dodging the question because honestly, I, I would thought for sure he was going to answer by saying, no, of course not. I don't want to pack the court. Uh, we'll work with Republicans. We'll work with the court that we have. Uh, well, I'm going to pass these certain laws, and and it's going to, you know Roe versus Wade is going to be the law of the land, which is which is an answer he's given. But the fact that he is not saying no to packing uh, uh, the court is because he's thinking about it. And he yeah. knows that <laughs> is he knows that it is not probably a political boon to to just say yes, I want to pack the court. So he's going to try to dodge it for for the time being. It's not graceful, and I agree with you, Daniel, that uh, you can find better ways to to message this. And they're still working on that, and they haven't found particularly a, a an effective message yet. I, I prefer your messaging to, for example, I think you're right. Uh, but just from my own selfish perspective, when I heard that answer, especially when I heard it, heard it from Biden the first time, I was like, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. I almost feel like we're being a little 
too, maybe it's my fault. We're being almost too critical of Kamala because P- Pence did awful too. He lied a lot. Oh my God, it was the most absurd thing in the world. The moderator asked if that if Pence would agree to a peaceful transition to power. Pence completely dodged the question, did not agree, and then started ranting about conspiracy theories. And then the next question, he refused to answer the peaceful transition to power question. And then the next question was from an eighth grader about why people in politics can't get along better. And I was, was just awful. like, what are you doing? It was awful. <laughs> what like, are you doing? <laughs> this here's is the thing about here's what I was thinking at that moment, because I get what the GOP has done, right? Like in terms of moderators, like every time a moderator comes in and just does the most basic fact checking and says, no, this isn't true. You're going to get a thousand Republicans uh, on Twitter being like, why is she, de- why is Pence debating the moderator? He should be Bias. debating. Yeah. Harris. And they've, they've scared the moderators to the point that they can't do a very simple question uh, or a very simple task. Uh, Mike Pence refused to answer the question. It should have been the moderator's job to say, why didn't, an- why didn't you answer my question? And, well, you know, this moderator, uh, she's Susan Page from USA Today. She threw a party for one of the Trump officials, right? Seema Verna, in honor of her at the beginning of the administration. Yeah, I, I mean, all that. these these moderators are conservative. Like, Chris Wallace is not <laughs> so liberal. Like, yeah, like, he was the one that, like, the whole thing with him uh, interviewing Bill Clinton was was like a flashpoint between conservatives and liberals back in the day. Like, I'm old yeah. enough to remember that. Um, so it's they've already got it. They've already uh, successfully convinced the debate commission to put pretty conservative moderators uh, um, in these debates. Uh Again, it, it's a simple yes or no question uh, that the moderator should have followed up. Just, hey, you didn't answer the question. Are you are you for a peaceful transition of power? The whole idea that she followed it up with the most absurd question from an eight-year-old of why can't we just get along? It's like, lady, what are you doing? What's your job? Like, it goes back to the whole comment that we made last week where it's like, why are we having these debates if they're going to be like these, like this? You know, it's, Do you think future serve. debates will be like this as well? I mean, not like future current pros. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm speculating, but I I feel like the GOP has successfully scared these debate commissions. They've worked the refs. They've made it so truth doesn't matter. So they could just lay down a litany of lies all in a row and just have it be unchallenged by anyone (laughs) Uh, because it's impossible to challenge eight lies in a five second period. And in the two minutes you have, and also substantively respond to the point, it's impossible. (laughs) So, so they've really came to these debates in such a way that they can get up there, say the craziest things possible and and get away with it. Saying, you know, we don't commit to a peaceful transition to power is insane. <laughs> but any, 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 and it's not even like, oh, it's modern history. In any time in American history has, has, some, has uh, somebody said something like that um, or not committed to a peaceful transition to power. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. And I do want to talk about my thoughts uh, on Mike Pence, uh, because at the end of that night, um, even more so really than than the Trump and Biden debate, I came away thinking, wow, the the Republican Party really doesn't have a message anymore. Uh, because when you th- when you talk about Trump, it's very easy for, for us to excuse him by saying, oh, he's just a blowhard. Or, oh, he's just, uh, of course, he's going to be unfocused and off message. He's Donald Trump. He's not disciplined. Uh, But with Mike Pence, he is disciplined. And he was disciplined in this debate. And he was uh, focused. And he technically would be on message if there was a message. 
but he didn't give one. Uh, he didn't give an answer to how he wants to replace the uh, Affordable Care Act. He didn't really give a good plan on how we're going to deal with the coronavirus going forward. He had no economic plan to to present. Um, in fact, going back to the coronavirus thing, his best excuse was coming up with some fictional scenario where the swine flu was somehow worse than it actually was. Like, just plain pretend that if it had been more deadly, it would have been worse. Like, well, no shit, but it wasn't. You can't just play with the the, the past like that. Um, and again, Gus, nope. if swine flu had been cancer, could you even imagine what would have happened? <laughs> Jesus, yeah. why, how do you not take <laughs> these scenarios seriously? Thanks, Obama. Um, <laughs> and and to me, that 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 was the most uh, important thing. That the fact that they could actually bring out their most disciplined person that they have, uh, and they could still not present a coherent message for how the Republican Party is actually going to help the country. Uh, both Mike Pence and the fly on his head reminded me of one basic thing, and that's you cannot polish a turd. <laughs> so that's it. Any other thoughts regarding this debate, guys? So let's move on. Let's talk about the Republican Party, because right now, look, I know that the Republican Party and the Trump administration has a lot of arrows in their quiver when it comes to the election. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm a very paranoid person about this, and I want to stress the fact that I'm not predicting anything or another. But let's, you know, if you want to just look at the polls, right now, the polls have been awful for Trump ever since the first debate. They have just cratered. Um, he, I believe he's pretty much, Biden is pretty much close to being up 10 points nationally. He has a comfortable lead in Michigan. He has a comfortable lead in Pennsylvania. He has a comfortable lead in Wisconsin. Uh, he has a modest lead in Arizona. He has a modest lead in Florida. He's even close in Georgia and in Texas and in Iowa. So, I mean, the, this is, this is, according to the polls right now, looking terrible for President Trump. And the Republican Party has acted accordingly. So, Daniel, you were the one that brought up this topic, and you, you have a lot to talk about. So guide us through it. What, what, what has the Republican Party been doing? <laughs> so uh, what kind of motivated me to, on this topic, uh, which we kind of started to call Republican crimes, although we expanded it a little more, was just the these New York Times stories that were just shocking to me uh, because they were kind of sort of tossed off stories, you know, these Trump palace intrigue stories they have, but Trump basically uh, freaking out because nobody, nobody, none of the Democrats uh, that he wants to be arrested or indicted by Bill Barr being arrested and indicted. The conservative media apparatus has been pushing the idea that, you know, um, Obama, the Clintons, uh, Clapper, Brennan, Clinton, Strzok, Comey, Susan Rice, Eric Holder, Loretta Lynch are all like on the verge of going to jail for all their crimes against the Trump administration. From my perspective, this has always been absolute bullshit. Like at the very most, at the very most, they can say, there were some political motivations going into this investigation, and that's it. And uh, to say that that is the biggest crime ever is is hilarious, given that Trump is literally calling up Bill Barr and saying, "You need to prosecute Biden." <laughs> so, so it went on national TV to say the same thing to like exactly. It's it's actually so fucking stupid because these people are like, "Yeah, uh, Obama met with Brennan and they talked about going after Trump on the Russia thing," and Trump is literally just out there telling people to go after his political rivals. So if you think what, you know, Obama, Susan Rice and all the, all of them did was a crime, the Trump 
has done all the crimes, but the the conservative media apparatus drills into people's heads that all these people are are criminals. Um, now Trump has controlled the DA and through appointments has people in the DOJ. On top of that, the people in the DOJ and the FBI, let's just be honest about this, they are mostly uh, white men and they are mostly pretty conservative. So it's not like this is a, these places are filled with lefties in the first place. But all I'm, all I'm trying to say is Bill Barr, you know, he, he had uh, Jeff Sessions before and apparently Jeff Sessions wouldn't do enough of what he was saying because he brought Bill, he wanted his own Roy Cohn. So he brought Bill Barr in. Bill Barr just does exactly what he wants. Uh, he set up an investigation to try to, to try to cast doubt on the whole Russia investigation. And still, despite all, uh, you know, all of these politically motivated federal prosecutors digging through all of these Democrats shit, there have been no crimes. <laughs> they have not been able to make anything stick. Uh, and compare this to, to Trump, um, you know, uh, Mueller had 30 something indictments. Uh, there was a massive report that said Trump obstructed justice, even though they tried to uh, fuzz up what that report actually meant. Uh, so what I'm trying to say is it, it, they they start to, I think, go a little nuts because they are convinced themselves that everybody is a criminal and, and Trump is the biggest one of all because he is convinced that, you know, all of these people committed the worst crimes in the world and Bill Barr is insane for not going after them on this obvious thing uh, because Barr recently announced that there wouldn't be any sort of charges before the election. As much as he wants charges before the election, he even changed the a rule. Yeah at the Justice Department to be able to release investigatory information right before an election, he's already said that there won't be charges coming <laughs> on the Russiagate stuff, no matter how much they want. Um, so uh, that's kind of how how this topic came to me. Just the, the Republicans who are convinced every Democrat committed a crime, the fact that every Republic, all of Trump's campaign managers are either in jail or have COVID, all of them. Like five people. <laughs> um, my point, my point is that the Republicans commit a fuckload of crimes. You know, the two yeah. New York Times stories this week. I'm not even going to go into them, but one of them, Trump might have illegally financed his 2016 campaign with a secret loan that he did not disclose and that exceeded all legal limits. And to top it off, he may have written the loan off in such a way that basically means that taxpayers subsidized his campaign through a completely illegal write-off the other trump story is about how 200 plus companies interest groups and foreign governments have poured poured money into trump's failing businesses and the favor trading is extremely explicit in the sense that they all get things from the government in in exchange for putting money into trump businesses and it, it is very much like Trump will, you know, he'll be like, this guy gave a million dollars, come over here. And then he'll be like, all right, we got to figure out how to solve this guy's problem because he gave this much money. It's, it's just open bribery is what it is. I guess to, to just add my own point uh, regarding all of this is that, and I want to give credit to Jamel Bowie, if, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, of the New York Times, who, who pointed this out. And a lot of the, or a main reason as to why this is happening, like regarding, uh, you know, uh, Trump bringing up Obama officials, uh, trying to create some sort of um, some sort of conspiracy or some sort of scandal where there is none is because Donald Trump only knows one scenario on how to win. 
uh, and that's 2016. Right. So what he wants to do now is he wants to recreate that scenario where the scandal uh, and the shocking revelations are coming up, are coming out from the other side. And whatever shocking revelation comes out of Trump gets mitigated by the fact that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's emails are, are always overshadowing the election. So he wanted to recreate that scenario. Uh, and they him and the Republican Party and his administration have not been able to do so. Um, and they're they're clearly desperate now. Uh, they're clearly just trying to come up with whatever they, they can think of and uh, throwing it uh, at the wall and hoping it sticks to the point that uh, Mike Pompeo was uh, on, uh, I, I forget which, I don't know if it was Face the Nation, but he, he was on national television and he was saying that he's trying to work as fast as he can to get more of Hillary Clinton's emails out there before the election. It's so, so fucking absurd. <laughs> they've they've so gone absurd. to the point that they could not recreate the Clinton email scenario and apply it to Joe Biden, that they're literally running on Clinton's emails again. And Clinton is nowhere in the ticket. It's <laughs> insane. And, and Trump literally put public pressure on Pompeo. He put public pressure on Barr to charge, you know, Clinton and Obama. And he put pressure on... on uh, Pompeo to release these emails and then Pompeo said he was going to release the emails there's no not even a pretext that this is for non-political reasons <laughs> now just thinking back can you imagine a scenario where Hillary Clinton was going to release documents like uh, two weeks before an election in order to fuck up a Republican while she was Secretary of State I cannot even imagine such an insane scenario um, and this is what they're doing just out in the open. It's not even a question. They're not even trying to hide that it's for political purposes. Pompeo is just on TV being like, yeah, we're going to release emails and you're going to get to read some more Hillary emails. We know you you hogs have been dying to read more Hillary emails. It's like they're trying to run against Hillary again. Yeah. Or, or like, something, I guess. They're just trying their best to change the subject because COVID, at least as they see it, is not working for them. <laughs> Well, they haven't done anything for COVID, basically. I mean, well, the president could, well, you know, you hear the president say he went out there and contracted the virus for us. That's what they're doing. He's getting the virus. He's getting it for us. He's going through it. He knows exactly. He found the cure. Let's talk about that because that's that's another part of the Republican Party here in late 2020. Um, so the president of the United States probably still has COVID, most definitely had COVID throughout the week and throughout the time where he posted about what, how many was it? Uh, about three to four videos uh, after he was released from the hospital from Walter Reed. Uh, some insane videos where basically he's saying that he was provided the cure and we have the cure now. Um, so some of the videos were before he was released, but yes, they were all very weird. And I, I want to set up some context here because it's been a while uh, since Trump was rushed to the hospital on a helicopter <laughs> uh and uh so trump was sicker than he was letting on it was pretty damn obvious uh you know it i know it we all know it he's a fucking liar he was downplaying the how sick he was uh new york magazine put out a piece uh that was that said he was experiencing very serious symptoms he was legitimately scared he was gonna die in fact he kept saying i'm going to be one of the dyers uh, which is a he very weird, that? yeah, it's a very weird and Trumpian <laughs> way to say that. That's a um, weird he way also, of saying that. He also had a very, a very weird, like, uh, 
identity crisis kind of thing because he didn't he could not comprehend from his doctors that he was in a high risk category because he was a senior citizen because i guess in his mind he's like not a senior kind of he's like so he's like a cool person yeah he thinks he's, he's so like cool energetic person. that he's young and cool yeah um so that that's the setup for these messages uh this uh this first message is uh really the third message from the hospital was after they pumped him up with experimental drugs, uh, you know, $100,000 worth of experimental drugs. We're getting great reports from the doctors. This is an incredible hospital. Walter Reed. And I'm going to stop it from time Walter to time. Walter is just absolutely amazing. And I want to thank them all, the nurses, the doctors, everybody here. I've also gotten to meet some of the soldiers and the first responders and what a group. I also all right, I'm going to pause it there. He has an incredibly deadly disease, <laughs> a very contagious disease. They don't explain exactly what the scenario is, but why the fuck was he meeting with soldiers and first responders <laughs> if he had yeah. a deadly disease? They, they don't explain exactly what that means. I guarantee you he was not wearing a mask in that scenario. And even if they wanted to meet him and were willing to take the risk, he, the president of the United States, should have been responsible enough to not let that happen. So I think we're going to pay a little surprise to some of the great patriots that we have out on the street. And they've been out there for a long time and they've got Trump flags and they love our country. So I'm not telling anybody but you, but I'm about to make a little surprise visit. So perhaps I'll get there before you get to see me. Uh, but I just... Uh... Um, I'm not sure wait, what that means. Was that, that a threat? What are Trump <laughs> flags? What are Trump just, flags? Just little the... flags that say Trump on them, I yeah. think. But that came off as a threat. It's like I'm going to pay them a little surprise. Cough, he was cough, just a little bit. Well, but then, and he was also like, "And I think you're going to see me before you see me, or something like that," because he meant like you might oh see this God. video after I go out there. So this was the this was the little trip that he took. Uh, he last week, I think I predicted. I think I said two things uh, that I want to revisit real quick. One, I said, "I hope he takes this seriously now that he's got this disease." <laughs> Which I think now looking back, I was, that was just the most absurd thing I could have said. And it's hilarious that I even had that idea that he would take yeah, it seriously. Exactly. And two, I said he would get bored and, and just go break quarantine. That happened so fucking quickly. He yeah. was there for three <laughs> days and he wanted to leave so bad that they basically agreed to let him take this little drive where he would drive in the back of a hermetically sealed car, by the way, because it's a secret service car and those are sealed to prevent chemical attacks. Hermetically sealed car with three with three is driver and two secret service agents, uh, putting them in, in serious risk of contracting COVID. When I look at the enthusiasm and we have enthusiasm like probably nobody's ever had our People that love the job we're doing, we have more enthusiasm than maybe anybody. Maybe. So uh, it's been a very interesting journey. I learned a lot about COVID. I learned it by really going to school. This is the real school. This is oh, the book school. And I get it. And I understand it. And it's... <laughs> I what? love that the president is talking about the deadly disease that's been ravaging his country for eight months. Like and now he, he understands it? He He's talking about it like a 10-year-old who went to the museum. He's like, I understand the dinosaurs now, and I'm going to explain it to you, Mom. I'm going to I'm gonna bring you that information. How can <laughs> you be a healthcare worker and not be just absolutely enraged by these comments? Like, <laughs> what a fucking insult. Like, what a joke. He's like, I've learned a lot about this COVID thing. It's crazy. You'll never guess. I'll tell you all about it later. All right. Oh, my God. 
a very interesting thing, and I'm going to be letting you know about it. In the meantime, we love the USA, and we love what's happening. Thank you. All right. <laughs> love that ending happening. is perfect. He's sick with a horrific disease, and we love what's happening. I didn't want to play too many of these because, uh, to be honest, there's a lot of them, and it is Trump, and he repeats himself a lot. But I did want to play the first one that he recorded after he got back to the White House, which honestly sounds like a infomercial for the medicine that he took. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. And I'm standing in front of the Oval Office at the White House, which is always an exciting place to be. I got back a day ago from Walter Reed Medical Center. I spent four days there and didn't have to. I could have stayed at the White House, but the doctor said, because you're president, let's do it. I said, fine. You tell me what to do, and I'm going to listen. These are great professionals. They've done a fantastic job. And by the way, not only at Walter Reed, all over the country, we have the greatest doctors in the world. We have the greatest nurses, the greatest first responders, law enforcement, by the way. Incredible. Firefighters, everybody. They're just great. We have great people. This is a great country. Okay. You might have just missed that that awesome uh, little train of thought that he went on but he started by saying walter reed is great doctors then he said eh, there's everywhere there's great doctors and he's and also <laughs> police first responders everybody firefighters <laughs> bakers teeth they're all great everybody in the country is great we um, love what's happening the president is very high on drugs uh, yeah. maybe or maybe this is just him uh to be perfectly honest it's hard to tell which says a lot he says he loves what's happening. He says he's never he's felt better. Honestly, when I first saw this video, I was 100% convinced he was going to die. But I spent four days there, and I went in. I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. It's called Regeneron. And other things, too, but I think this was the key. But they gave me Regeneron. <laughs> and it was, like, unbelievable. I felt good immediately. I felt as good three days ago as I do now. So I just want to say we have Regeneron. We have a very similar drug from Eli Lilly, and they're coming out, and we're trying to get them on an emergency basis. We've uh, authorized it. I've authorized it. And if you're in the hospital and you're feeling really bad, I think we're going to work it so that you get them, and you're going to get them free. Uh, I wanted to weigh in on this Regeneron thing real quick. Um, so this is an experimental antibody cocktail that – only Trump and nine other people have gotten. Uh, it apparently made Trump feel better. Um, mm -hmm. It happens to be made by one of his longtime golf buddies. Let's not read too much into that. He's the one that suggested the doctors give it to him, and it's the thing that made him feel 100% better. I don't know. It sounds a little fucking shady. It sounds to a little me. fishy. Yeah. And given that he's doing like a, a ridiculous infomercial about it, it, it gets even fishier. Uh, uh, also, also, the New York Times pointed out that there's like 50,000 doses of Regeneron in total, and 50,000 is the number of people contracting COVID every single day in America. So everything he says in this video is absolutely absurd, but uh, I just wanted to contextualize that in case anybody was listening to this podcast and was like, huh, Trump found the cure and he's going to bring it to all of us. Yeah, which is like the third or fourth cure he's promoted since this whole thing started. Oh, yeah, and he didn't even take the one thing, hydroxychloroquine. He didn't yeah. even take that. I'm going to get you in there quick. We have hundreds of thousands of doses that are That's just a lie. about ready. I have emergency use authorization all set, and we got to get it signed now. 
and you're going to get better. You're going to get better really fast. This is things that nobody even thought of a few months ago. The job that the <laughs> scientists, the labs, everybody have done is incredible. Then in addition to that, you have various other uh, drugs that help a lot. But these, I view these, and now they call them therapeutic. But to me, it wasn't therapeutic. It just made me better. Okay? I call that a cure. So I want to get these things done. So we have to get them done. We have to get them approved. I want to get them to the hospitals where people are feeling badly. It's much more important to me than the vaccine. But on the vaccines, we have many companies that are in final stages for the vaccines. Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer, all great companies, but many of them. And we're going to have a great vaccine very, very shortly. I think we should have it before the election. But frankly, the politics gets involved, and that's okay. They want to play their games. It's going to be right after the election. <laughs> but we did it. Nobody else. Nobody else would have been able to do it. So we have these drugs, Eli Lilly and the others that are so good. But they are, in my opinion, remember this, they're going to say that they're uh, therapeutic. And I guess they are therapeutic. Some people don't know how to define therapeutic. I view it different. It's a cure. For me, I walked in. I didn't feel good. A short 24 hours later, I was feeling great. I wanted to get out of the hospital. And that's what I want for everybody. I want everybody to be given the same treatment as your president because I feel great. I feel like perfect. So, oh, right where he says, I feel perfect is where I was like, I think he might be dying. I think he might die because this is, this is a little over the top even for him. Go, what were you saying? It's like him saying that he has the world's biggest hands, but in reality, they're just like small little, like that thing in Scary Movie that Butler had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what he's saying, basically. He's just saying, oh, yeah, I have the biggest hand in the world, but in reality. It, it is, it's, it's a very poorly produced late night infomercial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's let's recap that for a second because this is this is the Republican Party during this COVID pandemic. Uh, the President of the United States has spent the last week being completely high off whatever coronavirus cocktail he's been taking, uh, and it, it it shows on all the videos that he's put uh, put out. Uh, today he's ho he's hosting what's probably going to be another super spreader event. Two thousand people at the White House while he like yells from the balcony. Um, he hasn't. Um, revealed when was his um when he last tested negative uh he hasn't revealed whether he's testing negative now uh he may very well still have the virus as of today uh and republican senators including lindsey graham are now refusing to test for covid even though they've been exposed to to people that tested positive um for whatever reason they don't want to take it uh they don't want to take a test and in fact the debate had to be canceled because lindsey graham refused to test which which tells me that he probably has the virus and is afraid of testing positive because he, he that'll sideline him before the election. Well, I think it's actually if if Lindsey Graham gets sidelined, that might scuttle the entire mm -hmm. Supreme Court confirmation process. So even though he gets free tests with almost instant results, he will not be taking one <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Um, you, there was also one thing you missed, which is when Trump got back to the White House, he was supposedly supposed to be in the residence, but uh, uh, stories started leaking immediately about him just wa like wandering into the Oval Office without a mask on, and, and how and how staff had to have a cart with uh with like uh, PPE and various things that they all had to grab whenever he was around to try to because he was just wandering around the Oval Office breathing on everybody. 
because he doesn't give a shit. I mean, to him, it's it's like, well, I'm the president, so if you get infected, that's you know, that's on you. Yeah, apparently, like his aides have to go into the Oval Office wearing basically like hazmat suits. Like mm-hmm. they have to be wearing gloves, they have to be wearing eyeglasses, they have to be wearing masks. That's it's it's absurd. Mm-hmm. What what universe are we in? Um, he can't just sit in the residence and and the guy who calls into more conservative radio shows ever cannot conduct business by phone for a week for ten for and, fourteen days. And just to note, the second debate um, is canceled uh, between Joe Biden and Donald Trump because um, Joe uh, Donald Trump refused to have a virtual debate, even though we had a virtual debate back in 1960 between Kennedy and Nixon. He refuses to to do a virtual debate right now. The only way he wanted to do that debate was in person uh, and risk infecting. Joe Biden as well as others because it's a town hall uh, debate. So uh, (laughs) people would be there asking questions. I don't even know what to say anymore regarding this this person and regarding the Republican Party other than how can we possibly give them another four years to deal with this shit? Because in January, COVID will still be a massive, massive problem. Uh, It's not going to go away. Uh, In fact, we've seen an increase in cases lately. I I believe yesterday it was like 56,000 people uh, got infected by the virus. Uh, Over 900 people died from the virus. Like, we cannot give them another four years. Please, America, I'm begging you. Vote Joe Biden. You're ignoring the fact that Trump found the cure, dude. Yeah, I'm sure. The cure to getting high as fuck. Let's let's actually just pivot to our last topic because, uh, as we mentioned, we need to do our best we can to get Joe Biden elected, and part of that process is talking about third party votes uh, or protest votes. Um, Daniel, you brought up this subject. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, you know, because there's a lot of thoughts regarding third parties uh, and whether they they can actually be uh, a good thing or a bad thing, but specifically in 2020, what what do you say to those that are not really happy, not crazy about Joe Biden? They hate Donald Trump, but they're they're either, you know, and most likely strong leftists that find it hard to cast their votes for such a moderate like Joe Biden. Like, what's your message towards them? And what's your message towards a protest vote? In 2016, I was a Hillary backer, and I was very, very aggressively against protest votes. In 2020, I was more of a Bernie backer, and I was not the biggest fan of Biden. And I think, uh, Gus, you probably even remember some of the, you know, the the primary was pretty tumultuous. And even in during those early days when it was Biden, Buttigieg, and uh, Bernie, um, I was getting pretty mad and and saying things that you know might be read as saying I would not vote for Joe Biden in the general election because, you know, Mm -hmm. he was, uh, you know, he got in a debate with Bernie and he just lied the whole time. He's very open about him desiring to work with Republicans, which I thought was absurd. Uh, My point is, I was not a gigantic fan of Joe Biden. In fact, I was pretty anti-Joe Biden at the point that he became uh, the nominee. Um, but at the same time, you know, just just looking back at it, um, I pulled up the uh, the victory margins in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in 2016, and I'm um, and I, I always forget that uh, Trump's victory margins were all dwarfed by uh, Jill Stein's vote numbers in those states, uh, which yeah. I think 
a lot of people, I think, try to obscure that fact and say, well, you know, it's not those Stein voters wouldn't have voted for Clinton, which is, you know, that that's a fair point. They they could have stayed home or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But, it, you know, when you look at those margins, it's hard to say. And and this isn't to say, I mean, Hillary Clinton ran an incredibly flawed campaign. So is there a third party candidate right now? Because I haven't heard anybody. Yeah, uh, have you heard of the little known rapper Kanye West? <laughs> <laughs> He's there. So there are. There's Green Party, Libertarian Party. There are always more than just the two. The no, two I know, but I just haven't. Heard, like, I guess it's not as. as yeah, uh, no. For whatever reason, it's definitely not as prominent uh, this year. Because in the last election, they were they were definitely more prominent than they than they are now. At least agreed, agreed. Um, I think it's worth taking some of these ideas seriously. Uh, the protest vote ideas, because you know, uh, a lot of people argue Dem policies led to Trump. So retreating back to Biden policies, is that really going to get us anywhere? Um, are we just going to get an even crazier version of Trump next time? You know, if you keep, as a lefty, if you keep giving your candidate this vote, and Joe Biden has shown uh, very little enthusiasm for embracing a lot of leftist ideas. And uh, so, so there's that question, you know, are you really able to push the candidate left? I I think these are all very, you know, then there's the moral point. I mean, you could definitely make the point that the Democrats have have been the bipartisan party of war with the Republicans for the last several decades. So yeah. I, I, all of these arguments are absolutely worth taking seriously. I, and, and this year, unlike last year, I don't think I'm, and you know, it might, it might get more intense as the election comes, but I'm not going to be able to like strike out <laughs> at people <laughs> and get angry at them for protest voting in the same way. Or, or maybe I am because it's just going to get that, that bad. Uh, yeah, I certainly I, am. So one of the, one of the things that I, I wanted to focus on was the Supreme Court. It was a big thing I pushed in 2016. Oh, man, the current court is a direct result of the 2016 election. And just thinking of the, all the awful shit that it has given us, uh, using free speech as a very thin veil to dismantle all sorts of regulations against corporations, uh, uh, disabling DACA, dismantling abortion rights. Helping Republicans cheat in the election. You can't forget that big one. Uh, the Muslim ban, uh, approving Trump's Muslim ban, even though it was clearly motivated by Islamophobia uh, and anti-Muslim tendencies. Uh, it was completely uh, bigoted comments preceded, bigoted uh, motivations for that law. But then uh, they they basically let a sanitized version of that law go in go into effect despite Trump's insane comments. Um, that's this Supreme Court. Um, it's about to get worse than that. Right now, it's about to get worse than that. Before the election, it's going to get worse than that. So this uh, Supreme Court, um, it was a denial of a, pit, uh, a petition for a writ of sociori. And uh, Justice Thomas and Alito wrote, to me, what was the one of the most chilling opinions I've read in in years? Um, I think when you go through the sort of host of awful things that a conservative Supreme Court would bring, you tend to be like, well, abortion, voting rights, national security, it's all going to be terrible. But uh, there's a tendency to be like, well, they're not going to overturn gay marriage. I mean, how could you do that? Right? It's absurd. Right? All right. Let's go to this decision. <laughs> um, 
Justice Thomas uh, was joined by Justice Alito and basically wrote an entire decision saying that the decision of Obergefell, uh, which legalized gay marriage at the federal level, violates the First Amendment uh, because it attaches the idea that the Christians and people who do not want same-sex same -sex marriage are bigots. And by doing that, it violates their First Amendment rights. That's the reasoning that Thomas went through in his head. Now, that is absolutely fucking stupid and absurd. And I think we all understand that. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, because in the end of the day, the Supreme Court is about raw power. And they have, this indicates they have at least two votes. And, you know, Supreme Court justices don't write these opinions for fun. They write them because they think that they can persuade other people on the court or possibly people who are about to get on the court. <laughs> so uh, this, I'm, I'm going to read a few lines of this uh, opinion because I think it's chilling. Um, I think gay marriage is on the, on the ballot in the sense that it, it seems very clear from this opinion that there are at least two justices that are ready to overturn it. And they think that they have persuadable votes on the court. And that's why they would write this. Um, uh, so I'm going to read, quote, this is from the middle of this, the decision. Davis, sorry, sorry, Kim Davis was the clerk who, who said she was a Christian and she didn't want to uh, issue marriage licenses, even though she was a government employee. She didn't want to issue marriage licenses to the same-sex couples. Uh, Davis may have been one of the first victims of this court's cavalier treatment of religion in its Obergefell decision, but she will not be the last. Due to Obergefell, those with sincerely held religious beliefs concerning marriage will find it increasingly difficult to participate in society without running afoul of Obergefell and its effect on other anti-discrimination laws. It would be one thing if recognition for same-sex marriage had been debated and adopted through the democratic process, but it is quite another when the court forces its choice upon society. Through its creation of an atextual constitutional right, and here's a key phrase, and its ungenerous interpretation of the free exercise clause, comma, leaving those with religious objections in a lurch. So what he's saying here is the First Amendment needs to give these religious people rights and their rights win over the same-sex marriage rights, which is a made-up right in his head. He goes on to say, and again, this is the, the most extreme harm he can think of of the Obergefell decision is, Obergefell enables courts and governments to brand religious adherents who believe that marriage is between one man and one woman as bigots, making their religious liberty concerns that much easier to dismiss. So, yeah. So that's the issue, is that they're branded as bigots. It, not taking on the other side that on the other side you have literally just people's entire lives <laughs> their families who they're who they love their their uh ability to 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 form a bond with another human being on this planet <laughs> no it's it's because christians are afraid of being called bigots that's the that's the main harm that we're we're interested in there's a tendency to become very sanguine about this stuff because because you're like, well, this is, you know, they're not going to overturn gay marriage. That would be, that would be crazy. Uh, you know, just like they weren't going to have concentration camps. Uh, it, it, this, this opinion tells me that we are, I, I think, at the beginning of a downward, a shocking 
downward trend in in rights in this country um and uh, and i think that there's going to be an issue the obergefell decision i think is in serious danger i'm going to read this last line the this you know they denied this writ they didn't they didn't weigh in on it and uh this this petition provides a stark reminder of the consequences of Obergefell by choosing to privilege a novel constitutional right over the religious liberty interests explicitly protected in the First Amendment, and by doing so undemocratically, the court has created a problem that only it can fix. Until then, Obergefell will continue to have ruinous consequences for religious liberty. That's the last line of this decision, uh, that yeah. Obergefell needs to be fixed in order to save religious liberty. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. Uh, your protest vote in this election, as noble as your motivations might be, this is what it's going to enable. This this is the kind of horrific consequences it's going to have. This decision is is horrifying. It's basically saying we are getting ready to strip the right, the marriage rights of hundreds of thousands of Americans um, yeah. as soon as we have the votes based on some absurd notion of religious liberty. Um, and again, and this is all on a case. It's Kim Davis. It's, she is the government employee who is oppressing people by not providing them marriage documents. <laughs> and yet she is the one who is going to be the one that is characterized as the one that's being oppressed by having to just facilitate homosexual couples. Um, I don't want to get. I don't. I don't want to do too much more on this. Uh, but that you know that it was a shocking decision. I felt like it came and it went. People didn't pay attention to it. But I, your protest vote, uh, gay gay marriage is on the ballot. It is uh, as as much as that has seemed to be a uh, something that's decided in this country. It's not, and it's in danger. Um, so you know. So when you're thinking about that protest vote, that's. I think we should keep this in mind. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's it's uh, it would be irresponsible for us to keep thinking that uh, we can't go back to uh, a world where gay marriage was uh, considered to be illegal. Of course we can. I mean, uh, we're we're already on the verge of pretty much losing Roe versus Wade. So it's time for us to stop pretending that these things can't happen. Uh, I'm going to say my thoughts, but Sam, I I don't want to uh, leave you out. Um, you know, you've previously had kind of a history of of considering yourself pretty leftist. Uh, pretty unhappy. I mean, you know, I even recall you being uh, during the primary in 2016, not particularly being huge on Hillary Clinton, um, not particularly being huge on Joe Biden. You did pretty much, from my understanding, ended up, ended up supporting both candidates, but you have that streak. So, what do you think about protest votes in 2020 of all years? When in 2016, I actually uh, wrote a huge paragraph about it on Facebook, but. You know, I, at first I was I would not vote for Hillary Clinton, but then I would after that I said if if Donald Trump is not like the Republican presidential candidate, it's exhausting talking about this already. <laughs> but Trump has done so much shit to our country, and it's like so much worse shit could happen if he's reelected. If you protest vote, you allow this to happen. You can't just be like, oh no, they're they're we talked about this before on previous episodes, but they're just the same. They're just the same. They're not the same. They are not the same at all. Yeah. And that pretty much reflects my point of view because the thing that I look at is we've seen this all before. Um 
we we saw it in 2000, right? Like I even think about that Rage Against the Machine video where it basically shows Al Gore and, and George W. Bush as the same thing. Uh, and I love Rage Against the Machine, nothing against them, but it's that mentality that have cost us so much damage because you're kidding yourself if you think Al Gore winning in 2000 would have resulted in the same thing we have now. It would have, we would be in a radically different world if that were the case. Uh, sure, 9-11 might have still happened, but our response to it probably would have been dramatically different. There probably would not be an Iraq war. Um, if uh, Hillary Clinton had won in 2016, um, she would have been able to replace three, what, three Supreme Court justices at this point, assuming Kennedy also retires, which maybe he wouldn't, but uh, maybe he would. I mean, he, he's the swing voter. Uh, three Supreme Court justices. She probably would, she most definitely would have handled this pandemic in a responsible way. Listening to the scientists, taking federal um, federal actions to, to mitigate the spread. And we probably, it is absolutely no exaggeration at this point to say that 140,000 people or so, give or take, would not be dead right now. Agreed. I mean, this is this is these are not little things, and and I do sympathize with with leftists uh, because I, I consider myself uh, maybe not not uh, a complete social um, democrat, but I am pretty far on the left, and and I do sympathize with the idea that we always have to be the one that the ones that hold our noses and vote for the moderate uh, democrat, and I get that, but this these are not the same choices. They were not in 2000, they were not in 2016, and they will definitely not be in 2020 because I honestly say, I say it with no exaggeration, you give the keys to the Republican Party in 2020 going to 2024, I don't know what elections are going to be in 2024. I don't know what this pandemic is going to to end up in 2024. It could end up with the, with the over a half a million dead. Uh, at this rate, uh, I mean, that's where we're going. These are not inconsequential decisions. They matter. You know that uh, the Green Party is not going to win. You know that uh, the Libertarian Party is not going to win. You know that Kanye West is not going to win. You know that it's between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And I know sometimes that choice sucks, but you should be responsible enough to make it. And I hope you make the right one, because if we give this to Donald Trump, we may not have that choice again. Yeah, it's just it's terrifying that what could happen. I just, I saw this um, this post saying that there was this Holocaust survivor in Germany who said Donald Trump sounds exactly like Adolf Hitler. And I mean, I've said it before. Yeah. You guys said it before. This is fascism right now. It's it's being portrayed as patriotism, but it's fascism. It is as fascism is always portrayed. Well, let's go ahead and end it there because that's that's already been a, a lengthy episode. We covered a lot of ground. Um, so thank you both for for joining me on this uh, lovely Saturday morning. Uh, Daniel, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Oh, by the way, uh, in May, Mark Meadows held a wedding for his daughter with 70 guests, totally maskless. These people are pieces of shit. Please vote them out. Vote them out. Sam, thank you for joining me. Thank you, guys. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you're all staying safe. Uh, again, keep in mind that cases are going up. So uh, if you can spend a, a couple of days, a, a week, uh, trying to stay home, uh, be cautious, wear a mask, uh, please do so. But thank you so much for listening to us today. Uh, and we'll see you next week for another friendly reminder.
We love the USA and we love what's happening.